Good morning. Oh, well, this past week, I uh, discovered that if you really like Chicago weather, and you also happen to be a pastor, you probably shouldn't go on vacation two days later to somewhere warm after bragging about liking that cold weather. I, as some of you may know, uh, this past week, Andrea and I uh, were on vacation, and uh, while we were gone, uh, we knew that Pastor Rico would be celebrating his 20th anniversary, and so while he was gone, we bought a little token of appreciation for him. It's a Steelers license plate, and it's uh, a thank you to say uh, all that he's meant for us, and uh, to recognize all that he's meant for you over the past 20 years, and so, you know, we thank God for him again. And uh, with that, as we begin, I'd invite you to join me in time of prayer. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the thoughts and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, on February 20th, 1962, John Glenn began a journey uh, that made him a true American hero. You see, it was the early 1960s, the height of the space race, and America was quickly falling behind. And while we'd managed to put several men up into space, uh, those men had never actually managed to orbit the Earth. And so on February 20th, 1962, all eyes were on John Glenn. And when his spaceship, Friendship 7, circled the Earth not once, nor twice, but three times, he found his way into the history books. And the remarkable thing about this man was that this was neither the beginning nor the end of his career. You see, it started all the way back after Pearl Harbor when he enlisted in the Marine Corps. And after the war, he served as a flight instructor, fought in Korea, and eventually became a test pilot for the U.S. Navy. And then at the age of 42, uh, two years after he'd circled the Earth, when you think it'd finally be all over, he went home to the state of Ohio and entered into a career of politics that lasted more than two decades. And then in 1998, when you think that he'd finally be calling it quits, uh, he returned to space and became the oldest astronaut ever at the age of 77. Yeah, the remarkable thing about this man, at least for me, has nothing to do with the achievements he accomplished. It had to do with the ordinariness of this guy. See, he was born the son of a plumber and a school teacher. He married his high school sweetheart, and, and for years he served as an elder in his Presbyterian church. And so the more you get to know about this guy, the more you begin to think, well, you know, this, this guy is not so different from me. And so uh, a little over a month ago, when he finally passed away, I think a reporter summed it up well when he said, you know, beneath it all, John Glenn was just an ordinary guy from Ohio, an ordinary guy who also happened to do some pretty remarkable things. You know, as we encounter uh, Jesus' calling of his disciples for the second time in two weeks, I think that's a, a pretty good description of them, or at least a, a pretty good place to start. Because just like John Glenn, Jesus' disciples were ordinary people, not so different from you or me. Yet beneath it all, what we see God promising today is that he continues to call ordinary people, ordinary people to be his hands and his feet in this world. 
And so that brings us uh, to today's reading from Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has just been baptized. He spent 40 days in the wilderness, and now he heads north to Galilee to begin his ministry. And so as we open our scene today, we find him in familiar territory walking along the beach near the town of Capernaum. And Capernaum is this nothing of a town, home to maybe a thousand or fifteen hundred people in Jesus' day, most of whom work as farmers or fishermen to earn a daily living. And so it's little wonder that we encounter people like Peter and Andrew, James and John, as Jesus walks along the beach, because they work like many of their fellow townspeople do, casting their nets and catching food for other people to eat. And you know, they grew up in relatively modest homes, and if you're one of them, then there was always a roof over your head. There was always food on the table. And you know, just like your siblings, you received a good Jewish education. And so as Jesus approaches you along the sea, your mind is transported back to those days, all those years ago, the day you first went off to school. You probably remember how it goes. Your parents came up to you and said, the time has finally come. So they take you down to the local synagogue. They enroll you in the first stage of Jewish education. And it's called Beth Sefer, the house of the scroll, or the house of the book, and it lasts four years. And over those years, you memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all memorized by the time you're 10. And, and while it isn't always easy, it's the same education that every young Jewish boy receives. Now, by the age of 10, most kids have dropped out of school. Either they couldn't cut it, or their families need them at home to work the family business. But some kids, the best of the best, continue on to the next stage of Jewish education. It's called Beth Talmud, the house of learning. It lasts four more years, and just like Beth Safer before it, it involves even more memorization. The rest of the Hebrew Bible, all memorized. And it teaches you to be a curious person, to ask questions about God's Word. And, and just like Beth Safer before it, by the end of those four years, by the time you're 14, most kids have called it quits. But a few select people, the best of the best of the best, continue on to the final stage of education called Beth Midrash, the house of study. And it's this grueling application process that kicks it all off, seeking out a rabbi, and then finally studying under him. And so if you're one of Jesus' disciples, you're probably familiar with how this goes. You know, you find this rabbi and it asks you all these questions. And it's not just about what you know, it's about who you are. Can this kid be like me? That's the question this rabbi wants to know. And if he thinks that you don't have what it takes, that you're not ready for the task, he'll tell you to go home and learn the family business. But if he thinks you're ready, if he thinks you've got what it takes, he'll say, come, follow me. And so that's why your encounter with Jesus punctuates your otherwise ordinary day 
Because Jesus, Rabbi and Teacher Jesus, says those three magic words to you. Come, follow me. And it's, it's like being a middle school boy and hoping to play basketball when you meet Michael Jordan, right? You're just hoping, wanting to train with him. And, and he says, I see you've got potential. And it gets you excited. And then when he says, come, train with me, of course you drop your stuff. Of course you leave your homes. Of course you follow him. And if you're one of Jesus' disciples, that's why you do the exact same thing. Because Jesus' call is about meaning and purpose and listening to God. But you see, if you're one of Jesus' disciples, uh, there's this little detail in today's story that makes all the difference for people like you and me. And that detail is this. Jesus' four disciples, they aren't studying hard for their education. They're catching fish on the beach. That means at some point in their life, they dropped out of school. I mean, either they couldn't make it, or maybe their families needed them at home. Whatever the case, the punchline is this. They're not the best of the best of the best. The ordinary people like you and me. And it's Jesus' way of saying, I call all people to be my hands and feet. Well, this past fall, I uh, had an opportunity to attend a conference in Indianapolis. And that's because I serve on the board of the Lutheran Campus Ministry at the University of Maryland. And a little over a year ago, they received a grant from the Lilly Foundation to help their students explore their calling from God. And at this conference, uh, one of the presenters told us, all of your students are called by God. Lawyers, teachers, office workers. Some will become parents. Many will abandon or change their degrees. But all of them, no matter who they are or what they're doing, are called by God. And what we learned, and quite honestly, probably already knew, was that for many of these students, it's not always easy to see. You know, I think it's that way for many of us because our ordinary lives often feel at odds with an extraordinary call from God. I mean, when you're stuck on the beltway in traffic, when you're on hold on the phone with the credit card company or the insurance company, when, you, when you're spending your Sunday afternoon untangling your kid's Barbie doll hair, you know, it's not always easy to feel called by God. But it's in moments like this that, that God looks at you, that Jesus looks at you, and he says, remember my disciples, because I call all people, ordinary people, to follow me. And you don't have to leave your nets, drop your nets, to follow him, because God can and will and does use you right where you are. And so, you know, when you're driving your kids to soccer practice, God is using you. When, when you're building buildings or building websites, God is using you. And when you're laying carpet or cleaning toilets, God is using you. He uses you everywhere you go. And so whether you're John Glenn flying into space or Jesus' disciples preaching to thousands or simply working in a cubicle to earn a living to support your family, you're called by God, and he uses you in this world to be your hands and feet. 
Now, Martin Luther is uh, known for many things, for starting the Reformation and for teaching people about God's grace. But of all the things that Luther is known for, I particularly appreciate what he had to say about our calling from God. Because for Luther, God can and will and does use us everywhere we go. And so Luther once wrote that God is working all things through you. He's milking the cow through you, and he's performing the most servile of duties through you. And everything from the greatest to the least is pleasing to him. You know, while Luther's words seem a a little dated, at least to me, they're the reasons I give thanks for all of you. Because God can and will and and does use you. And and I see it day after day. I see it in the way that you care for your families. I see it in the way that you work your jobs. I see it in the way that you do everything from the greatest to the least. And so on this, you know, foggy January morning, it's my hope and prayer that God would continue to use you as his hands and feet in this world. Whether that means milking cows and getting stuck in traffic or meeting with people big and important and setting our nation's affairs. Because no matter who you are or what you do, God's promise is the same. You're called by him and he uses you in this world as his hands and his feet. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.